welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Elaine Fraze, Canada's farm whisperer. Elaine has been a sounding board for farm families for over 30 years as they seek to find ways to work together and prepare the farm for the next generation. She is your go-to expert for farm families who want better communication and conflict resolution to secure a successful farm transition. Now, Elaine has written several books as well, and I hope she'll take some time to tell us about them before we wrap up today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here to interrupt my own voice with, well, more of my voice. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. So all of the time that goes into interviewing guests, developing and editing the podcast is sponsored by my main gig, my day job, which is freelance marketing. I own Backpocket Social Marketing, and we specialize in social media advertising, social media content creation and management, email marketing, and website design. So if you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing to figure out what's working and what's not and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to talk with you. Elaine, I am particularly excited to talk to you today because I've been watching um, a farm transition in progress as much as a granddaughter can watch as my grandparents' farm has gone through transitions and succession over the past 15 years. And I've got farm four farm kids of my own and a growing farm. I want to set us up for success in the future starting right now. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your path has looked like to deciding this was going to be the focus of your career. So I've always been a farm kid. Lexi, I grew up on the first farm east of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, my dad always had cattle and um, grain, and so I had the joy of being 15 minutes from downtown Winnipeg, but I learned how to drive a combine and chase a lot of steers. Then I became a home economist and was asked by Manitoba Agriculture to move to southwestern Manitoba to Boisevane, which is on mile 16, just above U.S. border and just above North Dakota, so that's where I live. And then I fell in love with the local farmer who's a seed grower. And that was 41 years ago that we got married. But turning into a farm family coach was a result of the way I'm wired. So I'm wired for communication, positivity, lifelong learning, empathy, and woo. And woo is for winning others over. And so if anybody ever wants to check themselves out, they can do that at StrengthsFinder 2.0. 
And as I was working with farm families around kitchen tables, the government, I worked for government as an extension, what you would call an extension county agent for three, uh, six years, actually. And then I had children. And then I went into being an entrepreneur. And I just really saw this huge gap. People got accounting and legal advice. And, you know, they flew people in from Colorado to do special seminars. And they said, Elaine, we'd like you to follow up and take your flip chart to kitchen tables to really get inside what's really going on in these families. And so that's the key of what I do now, Lexi. And that's how this is all unfolded is in 2003, I got my certification in the U.S. with, with the Hudson Institute of Santa Barbara, which is at that time one of the top 10 coaching schools in uh, the International Coaching Federation. And that was exactly what I needed, that plus a conflict resolution slash mediation certificate, 22 more days of training to help me really uh, focus in on helping families communicate and resolve conflict so they can manage expectations. And then it's been a, a wonderful ride ever since. The other piece is my books became a result of writing for the last 27 years for a farm paper called Grain News. And I also show up in progressive dairy and sometimes in the states as well at progressive dairy so i've been very um blessed to to use coaching speaking and writing as my three-legged milk stool of my business model well you have so many great things out there for people to read and to educate themselves on their own i took some time and explored your website and i've seen you on different social media channels um just really valuable information that comes from a point of view that I think a lot of people fail to remember as part of the puzzle. So I really enjoyed reading it and getting to know more that way. Um, one of the things that you write about and talk about a lot is fairness in farm transition. What does that mean? What is What does that mean to you when we talk about fairness in farm Well, it, it always gives me goosebumps, Lexi, when you mention the word fairness. I first started drilling down on this almost four years ago when I was asked specifically to deal with the issue of fairness in farm families in transition. And I come from, a, I'm the eldest of five. I have a farming brother. I married into a farming family. I'm in my third succession plan because I have a son who's 34, a beautiful daughter-in-law and three beautiful grandkids who live right next door. So I'm going through the exact same journey as your listeners are and as you are. And you said 15 years with your grandparents. And so, you know, farmers love quick solutions. They go, Elaine, just send me the checklist. Just send me the template. And the thing is, Lexi, there is not a template. So what I want listeners to understand is there's your family circle. So we're all members of a family. Then there's a management circle, which is who's managing the farm. And then there's the ownership circle. And so if people just even drew Mickey Mouse on a piece of paper, the two ears could be the family and the ownership, and then the middle one could be management. But regardless, the fairness issue is around, we have a new reality in agriculture, and I'm really big on pushing people to change their way of thinking. Our land where we farm is about $3,500 to $4,000 an acre. I work with clients in Southern Ontario whose land is worth $17,000 an acre. I have cranberry farmers in BC whose land is worth $600,000 an acre. Like, and I know in Nebraska, you have people here listening from Nebraska, the ground in Nebraska is north of 10 grand now. So we have a problem in agriculture because we have unrealistic expectations of how we're going to transfer wealth. 
And the ownership of that land, yes, has to transfer, but it needs to be kept intact. And that's where the fights start happening. Because if you're a daughter who's a dentist in downtown Kansas City, and you think that just because you're one of four kids, you should get a quarter of mom and dad's farm, you're not living in reality. And plus, where is it written that farmers and families and founders are supposed to keep all of their children economically equal? And that's a huge family problem in Eastern European descent. So if you have DNA from Amsterdam or from Germany or from Norway, and I'm, I'm not trying to insult people, I'm just telling you there's a cultural DNA around what's expected to be fair. So my question is, what does fairness look like to you? Because my definition is fairness in farm transition is helping everyone in the family be successful. And that looks a lot different than what people are doing right now. Mm. I love that you bring up that point of, you know, not everybody is equal when it comes to the kids on the farm and they shouldn't be. Um, and the fact that you brought up the land prices we're seeing so quickly in our interview, um, I appreciate that. I was going to ask you a question specifically about that later. But well, and again, I, and but, again, uh, to be helpful, Lexi, because I think part of your your um, farming on purpose podcast is to be a good toolbox for farmers, right? So here's the here's the exercise: you take a, a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. And on the left-hand side, get your mom and dad to write down all the farming assets. Like, what is the net worth of the farm business? Then I want them to write down on the right side, what is your personal net worth? Like other non-farm property or savings or retirement things. In Canada, we call them RSPs or tax-free savings accounts. In the States, you call them 401ks or whatever, right? So the interesting thing is that Many farmers listening to that have put all of their wealth in the farm because that's what they're familiar with, but it's been to their demise for liquidity and flexibility in planning for transition because ideally you would have $2 million in your personal wealth bubble. And if you take 4% of that return, that's $80,000 a year, which Farm Credit Services says is a fairly good family living price in South Dakota. But in Illinois and Indiana, they want more, and so it might be 120K. So if you have kids that you want to give things to, knock yourself out, but give your children who are non-farm heirs gifts from the personal side and keep the farm side intact for the successors who are taking risk. Because the sisters want the inheritance, but do the sisters want the $2 million liability and debt that the brother or other sister is carrying? No, no, no. We don't want the debt. We just want the good stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I just, I learned this from Merle Good, who's a, a friend of mine and a tax, former tax specialist, but now an, a consultant in Alberta. And Merle talks about, you know, looking at the transfer of, of what's in that personal wealth bubble. So the other tool I want listeners to get is I want everybody to get a financial planner. And I know a really good one in Kansas City. His name is Dennis Hanks. And I've gone to Kansas and spoken with his farm families. Because when you have a financial planner, they can give you the ability to sleep at night. So I know I have enough money, Lexi, till I'm 102. And how do I know that? Because my husband and I work with an investment broker and financial planner. And we're smart about our money. And we've lost money just like the best of them, $200,000 in three minutes. Great white combine, right? 
So we know we have very high risk tolerance too because we're farmers, but we also know we're not smart about money just on our own. Having that guidance there is so important. I think a lot of folks, at least from what I've heard um, and seen around us in this area, they considered the land that they were investing in and buying to be their retirement. You know, they always say that's what they're going to rely on is either renting it out when they're retired or, or just relying well, on and, it. And again, and again, renting it out is fine. But if you're a farmer, and I, I had this on a Twitter space that I did with Bridget Riddell, and I had young men saying, Elaine, I'm living in a house that's on my grandmother's land. And I go, and so when are you going to get certainty? Well, not till my grandmother dies. And I said, why? Well, because she sees this as security. And that's why I am pressing people, Lexi, to change their mindset. Where is it written? that you can't give gifts with a warm hand, not just a cold one. And where is it written that yet that young farmer couldn't have his name on the deed or the title of that land while grandma was still living. And then when she dies, it rolls to him, right? That creates certainty. And, and again, the whole land thing, our son is not going to be able to, to buy our millions of dollars of land. So instead he bought one of the corporations, which he could afford. So I'm really, I'm really disappointed in these farmers who keep putting their head in the sand or they procrastinate and they say, well, just sell my land. Well, no, you won't actually, because who can afford to buy it? And if you want your son or daughter to be the next gen, what are you doing to help them be able to navigate that? And so next gen is buying liquider thing or liquider that's not even a word more liquid things right like cattle or things that move like equipment but then at some point the next generation wants their name on that land absolutely I think a lot of my generation is figuring out that we have to be diverse in our retirement assets it has to be in the business but also personal like you mentioned but for the folks who maybe are just now thinking about that in a different frame of reference what advice do you have to them if they're kind of getting to the point where it's like oh I did not look at this soon enough it's too little too late what do they do well I I'm a big member I said I was wired for positivity so I always feel as a coach I say counseling is about recovery coaching is about discovery so no matter what age the listener is I want you to just take a back and do some self-assessment. So the first thing I want them to figure out is what do you want? Where do you, what do you want your income stream to look like? And where do you want to live? And then the third piece is what we've already talked about is how do you want to be fair to your farming children and your non-farm heirs? And, and you might be surprised at the answer because a lot of parents are guessing because they don't have the courage to have a conversation and say, oh, oh, Elaine, we can't do that because it'll just break out a whole Pandora's box of conflict. I go, you might be surprised. So income's really important, Lexi, because like I mentioned, Farm Credit did a webinar called Two Economists and a Lender, which is a really great webinar to Google, where they, where they talk about the difference in what it costs families to live. And the other thing, I don't know on your farm, if your house is paid for by the farm and your internet and your cell phone and your pickup truck. So you and your husband might be getting 18 to $20,000 worth of farm perks. And then that, of course, 
sends the entitlement flag to the non-farming kids because they say, oh, that's not fair. Look at all the perks they're already getting. Yeah, but the farm kids are the ones who are likely to take care of the parents as they age in place on the farm or the ranch. The farming kids are the ones who are carrying the debt. And the farming kids are carrying all kinds of responsibility that the non-farm heirs walked away from because they've left, right? So I just really think your question was, what do you do if you're in a tight spot today? First thing I do is assess what you own, assess what you want, agree with your spouse, because again, here's another problem. Mom is tired. She's had it. She wants off the main yard. Grand Central Station is not her jam anymore. Dad's going, eh, eh, I'm going out here boots first. I want to be able to go to my shop. I don't want to be pushed off this place. I was born here. You know all the stories. So that problem becomes if the parents or the founders aren't aligned, that, that's going to keep you stuck. And the other problem, Lexi, is in Kansas, as you know, and in North America, in Canada as well, especially in Alberta, we have three generations to transition. And you talked about your grandparents. And that doesn't surprise me because we have grandparents, then we have your parents, and then we have you and your family. So that's three generations where we have to figure out what do you need to live? And is grandma well? My father got Alzheimer's. He needed to be in care. My mother died six weeks after our succession family meeting of an asthma attack. So I don't see health issues as the thing that needs to drive your planning. I just think you need to be smart and, and, and figure out where your, your financial transparency needs to happen. That's very helpful, at least to be able to analyze where you're at and where you want to go. Right. So. And then, and then the problem will be, do do grandma and grandpa want to go the same way? Yeah. That may or may not be the case. It may not. And I think a lot of people, when they finally realize it's time to have this conversation, it's because one of either grandma or grandpa is not around anymore. And And where is it written that the old die first, Lexi? My sister died, my sister, my youngest sister died at age 23, driving home from this farm back to the home farm, Mm -hmm. killed by a drunk driver. Wow. And my mom was never the same again. So I, I'm a living testimony of what can go wrong and how you want to make good choices when things are going sideways. Absolutely. So talking about, you know, when should families start having these conversations? You mentioned it's not necessarily the old that die first. What stages or what situations do families typically go through when they decide? that it's time to go ahead and have these conversations. And what do you well, suggest to do? Well, the best time to start talking about transition is when your children are young and at the table. And we've, we've done an article called Toddler Succession. It's the culture of agriculture, Lexi. It's, it's how you feel about farming and the profitability and the lifestyle and running a business with your family. And so Sooner the better, I would always say. And again, I have teenagers who accompany their parents to the accounting office or to the financial planner or to the lawyer. And that's all about developing relationships, right? And as a coach from the Hudson Institute, I have this thing called Map 4 where we talk about in your 20s, it's about independence. So if you're 20 years old listening to this, what are you doing to get really good skills to um 
honor the way that you're wired. And we have assessments called the personal style indicator that we do to help people know. And so in my, in my family, my husband's ambitious, determined. My son is responsive, balanced. I'm influential. And my daughter-in-law is practical, thoughtful. And that just helps us know who's the best for tasks, getting things done. Who's the best for detail? That should be your office administrator and, and um, your accounting person. And where is it written that you can't outsource things? So you know, when is the right time? It's when you decide, when someone in the family unit decides they want to be the driver. And quite typically, it's the mother-in-law or the daughter-in-law or the mom who says, Elaine, I can't stand being the monkey in the middle anymore. And promises have been made, but nothing's happening. And as we know, Lexi, an entire farm year can whiz by. And here you guys, you know, are back again. We're you're about to celebrate November in America Thanksgiving. We celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving the first Monday of October. But if I was to say, oh, we'll do this after Thanksgiving, after Christmas, after Easter, after planting, after haying, after spraying, after harvest. And what have I just done? I've just rolled you through in another farm year. And, and, and you wake up and, and I have people say, Elaine, we called you five years ago. We should have done something <laughs> But what it could have should is not going to help. And the Chinese have a saying, talk does not cook rice. So you can talk about this and you can go to lots of seminars. And I have seminars coming up in Norfolk, Nebraska and Okama, South Dakota in December and also in Rapid City. People can find it at the South Dakota Farm Bureau or at uh, the Nebraska Grazing Alliance. Anyway, you can come to tons of seminars. But if you don't actually do something, Lexi, you're still in the same place. And so I would encourage, here's another practical tip. If they want to just reach out to me at farmfamilycoach.com and put in the subject line binder tabs, I will send you binder tabs. And all this is, is super simple. An action tab for what you discuss at your meetings, a business plan tab for what the vision is of the farm, a legal tab for your wills and estates, an accounting tab for your debt and, and, you know, contacting the accountant and then the lifestyle tab with, which is with your financial planner. And what that does is that chunks things down because I think why people aren't doing this work of transition is because they don't know where to start and they just get anxious and they go, Oh, I know I'm supposed to do this. So tomorrow I'm spending my entire day building my life binder because I'm changing the nature and the structure of my business and I need to do some net worth evaluation. And of course, we do this all the time for our farms, right? To keep the banker happy. But we need to do it for ourselves too, in order to not leave the next generation in a lurch, should we become disabled or something happen to us. So my thing is, how can you reward yourself? What would a small win look like? So today, people could call the lawyer, make the appointment. Then they could go to the lawyer and they don't even have to go anymore. They could do it like you and I are doing this podcast. You can do digital work now, which means you can have the best advisor in another state. As long as the state laws are compatible, it doesn't matter, right? So really, there's no excuse other than people love to put things off. And it, I feel like emotion plays a lot in that, just fear of what's, what's going to happen. What's it going to be like? What if I don't like it? And Oh no, how do I go back? <laughs> but but let's flip this around. What if the woman says to you, like she said to me after I coached her family, Elaine, thank you for giving me my husband back. Mm. 
because the conflict between the brothers farming in a cattle operation and a grain operation had been intense for about 20 years. And I just helped them facilitate a way to separate. And so Dr. Henry Cloud has this book. He's a Christian psychologist. It's called Necessary Endings, What to Do When Things Don't Work Out. And I have one of my coaching team. Her name is Jenna. And she's a palliative care nurse, and she's a, a great coach because she has been in that situation where they had to leave the family of origin. And at one point, they were in a joint venture with a, a bachelor farmer down the road. And then eventually, they started different careers in town, and they've won an award for their, their welding business. So again, I love the phrase, where is it written? Because that challenges the thinking that this isn't working the way it is right now, but that doesn't mean something else will work better, but you're not even exploring it. You're stuck. Yeah. It's so easy to fall into those kind of patterns, I think, in ag life, because we get so used to our routines and there's not a lot of outside input from other people. You know, it, it takes going to a conference and hearing someone like you bring these things up for us to realize like, wow, this has been a huge stressor in my life and I'm just allowing it to continue. I'm not doing anything about it. Um, I love your advice to break it down into those small steps because I do that with everything in my life. Um, I have to put it on a calendar. And if the task that's on the calendar is too big, I feel myself like, oh, I'll just, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll just shift it over there. But if I break it up into those smaller steps, it's like that feels much more manageable. I can check that off right now. So and, I and love that advice. And the other thing is, Lexi, we now have auto steer. I had a guy from Colorado said, Elaine, I'm out fertilizing my fields and I've listened to every video you have. What else do you have? For me? Oh, so he's on my YouTube channel, Farm Family Coach, listening to all these videos. And um, another guy said, oh, yeah, I, I stalked you. I, I, I listened to nine hours of video before I decided to hire you as a coach. I said, well, oh my gosh. good for you. But my point is, Lexi, is even from your smartphone on the tractor or listening to this podcast while you're sorting cows, it doesn't take very long to make the phone call, to make mm -hmm. the appointment. And again, it's like going to the dentist, Right. We only go to the dentist when we have a bad tooth or when we are proactive and are making appointments and we show up. And so my, my other encouragement for people is, is to start that planning binder with the binder tabs and just say, okay, where do we need to start? And you really need to start in my world with communication and getting clarity around those expectations. And if that puts fear into you, um, you know, Zach Williams, whose concert I'm going to on uh, December 9th in Rapid City, Death Dakota. I'm so excited. I'm never speaking in the same place where there's a great concert. <laughs> and I am. I'm so excited. Awesome. And he has, a song, he has a song with a line in it that says, fear is a liar, right? And so fear is a liar. And anger is hard too. But anger is a secondary emotion because anger is because you're either hurt you're afraid, you're afraid of something, or you're frustrated. And I look at you as a young farmer and I go, wow, I wonder what's fr frustrating Lexi right now. Because people are promised things and, and lots of listeners come back from ag college or they've gone in the field and they've done agronomy and they want to be a, um, a, a primary producer or rancher. And they find out, you know, 11 years has gone by and nothing that they promised me when I came back has come to fruition. Why am I still here? And that's a really hard question. Why are you still there? 
if you're not getting the certainty, and I started telling you about 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds are about mastering success, and it is exhausting because you're raising young children. But when you're 40, I'll get a 40-year-old calling me, and I know exactly why they're calling me. It's because their 62-year-old father will not let go of control. And in your 40s, you need power and control over your own equity and your own destiny. Mm -hmm. And the 70-year-olds and the 80-year-olds should be mentors. And Dick Whitman from Idaho with Whitman Consulting, that's W-I-T-T-M-A-N, Whitman Consulting has a great um, webinar called Stepping Back Without Stepping Away because your role changes. You're not getting kicked off the farm, but you have to let go graciously. And what does that look like? It looks like having agreements and transitioning the wealth and sharing the shares and having meetings where everybody has a voice at the table. Absolutely. Circling back a little bit to something you mentioned earlier, um, halfway mentioned, uh, it made me think about how things in transitions matter, like to scale. So like, how are things when you're talking to a smaller farm family versus someone with a larger operation, how is that different? And does off-farm income typically play much of a role in those conversations? Well, let's deal with off-farm income first. I have been working and gaining off-farm income since 1984 when my my daughter was born and I, I, I stayed home and didn't go back to working in government. And then our son came along and our son is adopted, which is a whole other podcast we can do on adoption. Anyway, great, great opportunity then to have off-farm income on a per diem basis starting in the mid-90s when the kids got older. But I've always seen off-farm income as the family living line, right? So if you have off-farm income and your sister-in-law doesn't, that's a big gap because that means you have income for debt servicing and you have income, of course, for family living and the needs of the family. But the other, remind me again, the other part of your question around, you know, what what that means to the family, it's, it's, it's important that people have a voice to be able to talk about where that debt servicing capacity needs to come from Mm -hmm. and I have I've asked young farmers on other podcasts where how much debt can you sleep at night and how much are you willing to buy because that's the other catch-22 in this decision making Lexi is that the founders are waiting to see commitment from your generation but your generation is waiting to see what's offered And so you got people here making these crazy assumptions with each other when they just need to get the table and say, and here's the magic formula. I'm just curious, dad, what does a good day look like to you on the farm as you get over 65? I'm just curious, mom, do you want to stay living here or do you have a house in town or a new property that you would like to go to? And really it's discovery and and it's not cast in stone what the decisions are going to be made. Yeah. There's more to your question. Ask me the question again. Um, Small farms versus large farms. How is it different? Right. Well, what's not different is the emotional factors affecting planning. And I I just coached a very successful, according to the Alberta stats, they're in the top 4% of farms in Alberta. But I was so disappointed um, with the reaction of the next gen because he's He's so, he's so not, he doesn't seem to be on fire for really grasping and taking, 
initiative to become a better manager or to grow. But there's also to his to his credit, a lot he doesn't know. And so he's going to be involved in a learning program to help him learn about growth and those kinds of things. But I would say, regardless of how many acres or how many cows you're ranching or whatever, it's really about the people. And it's about how are you managing people? How are you resolving conflict? And regardless of the scale of your farm, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So whether you're trying to make a lot of income on small acres and direct marketing or you know, super diversification or whether you've got a large scale farm, it really comes down to how how good are you at communicating and how good are you at doing conflict resolution? Because your ability to create a culture where people know the values of honesty and integrity and hard work. And when we make a mistake, it's okay if we screw up because we're going to fix it. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And in your culture, are you behaving well towards each other? So if you're a 30,000 acre farm, like Christian Hebert is in Saskatchewan, who's starting a company called Farm Coach, uh, you know, Christian has to do a lot of managing and, and he's not sitting in a tractor, but he still has to be, behave well and create a culture where his employees know that they can do their job on their own. And then the last piece is decision-making. So culture is believe, behave, decide. And whether you're a small-scale farm or a big one, those are your three touch points for making sure people are treated well, they love to be there, and that you're all in line with what the vision is. And so we have business decisions we can make very easily. For instance, my son and my husband were exporting rye to South Korea, and it came up that they needed a $100,000 bribe for a government contract to be fulfilled. Well, that was an easy answer. No, it's not honest. And we have we have zero, zero tolerance on our farm for dishonesty. We're certified seed growers, Lexi. We're government inspected. We have rules and regulations. We have errors and emissions insurance. Like we, we do business at a high, high degree of integrity. So what would that look like on your own farm where you knew that no, this isn't even a, a non-starter because this is our value. This is what we believe to be true. And this is how we show up. Unfortunately, too many of your listeners think that conflict is bad. Conflict is not bad. Unresolved conflict is horrible, but conflict helps you get clear. And, and if you're a Brene Brown fan, like I am, she says, being clear is kind. And so you're honest, you're open, and you're transparent, and you're kind in how you do that so that you can find out what the other person is thinking, feeling, needing, and wanting. And I've had young farmers say, Elaine, can I get adopted into your family? <laughs> and I say, sure, let's have a conversation. Let's see how I can encourage you. But Lexi, there, there's a thing on my website called the Conflict Dynamic Profile. It's from St. Eckert College in St. Petersburg, Florida. I've done over 250 of them with farm clients. For, for $35 US, you too can see what you're good at in terms of how you do conflict, what you're not so good at, and what your triggers are. And so this also might be helpful to your viewers. If you want to get through to your parents, are you putting yourself in their shoes, which is being able to put yourself in someone else's perspective. Secondly, can you express the fact how frustrated you are without yelling, screaming, crying, or walking out the door? So expressing your emotion in a respectful, adult-like way is a really good thing. Can you reach out and say, Dad, 
I've noticed that this harvest has been really hard on you. You're having trouble getting up the steps of the combine. There's a few things we've missed that you always did. I'm just curious, can we sit down and start talking about you stepping back without stepping away? So you're reaching out to start that conversation. Another good conflict tool is adapting. And Lexi, I don't know about you, but when your husband comes in from the from the work and you hear the door slam a little bit, maybe heavier than usual, you have two choices to think that something's gone wrong. Maybe it has, or maybe the wind blew the door, but you can ask, is this a good, do you want to talk about this now? And your husband says, nope. You say, okay, when you're ready, I'm here for you. And so what you're doing is you're putting helpful boundaries around when people are ready to create solutions. And that's the other huge conflict behavior is that you're not attacking the person, you're creating solutions around the issue. So for mom and dad, not to have a lot of personal wealth, that's an issue. I would suggest you, you coach them to have a financial planner and say, well, let's start there. Let's start with the facts. What do you own? What's liquid? What do you need? And how much do you expect to live on every year? That's a very data-based concrete place to start the conversation. Absolutely. You spoke a lot of value there. So I just want to draw some points out that I love that belief, behave, decide. Decide. That is so powerful. Just to think in those steps, I believe this. So I will do this and I will decide this. That's, that's amazing. and, and it's easy to remember. And, you know, maybe Hobby Lobby will will put it on some bricks and we can bring it home to decor. <laughs> yeah, instead of the, uh, what is it? What do they always have on their signs? I don't know. I have grateful Live, blessings. Laugh, love or something. Yeah. 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 That would be. That yeah, would we be. can come up with all one word. Right? Yeah. So that, could be, that could be our new t-shirt. You know, believe, behave, decide. Because behavior is and that's my sadness is I, um, Clay Conry, who's with Working Cows Podcast, has become a good friend of mine. He said, Elaine, I'll never forget that time you interrupted me when I started telling a sad story. And I said, yes, because my hashtag on Twitter is healing stories number four egg, because we all know the bad stories. And what good is it? It's no good at all. It doesn't, it doesn't build any value at all. Yeah. And what we need are healing stories. And so Let's be clear about what our responsibility is as farm women and farm men. What are you doing to not accept bad behavior on your farm anymore? And someone said, oh, you went to a conference or, oh, you've been listening to all those podcasts. That's great because you're actually finding courage and bravery. And, And today we had our coaching team. I have a team of eight coaches and here's two powerful questions. What would the true brave person inside of you be willing to do? And the second question is, what is courage asking of you right now? And I just love those questions because courage might be asking you to do a self-assessment first of what you need and what you want, and then to propose that to your founders or to your grandparents and say, you know, granny, I know you need security but there's another way we can do this because I need security too. And I can't wait any longer. Mm -hmm. And recognizing like that question, those two questions help you to recognize, I feel like to pause and think about what triggers am I feeling around this? Where is my fear and why is it there? And that those triggers, I think are a huge deal. I'm, I'm going to definitely take that quiz or Mm -hmm. the test you mentioned. That sounds really helpful. 
in just understanding. And it, and it comes with it comes with a really um, really good uh, guide as well um, that we we give after you've done the assessment. But my triggers are people who are aloof and people who are unreliable. And so if you're aloof, that means you're not talking to me and I have no idea what you're thinking. And we've also been doing a lot of studying. I've been writing, um, Lance Woodbury has a great insights thing that I get. From, I think it's called the Progress Dispatch that I get from him every month. But he's been writing a lot lately about the rules of estrangement and fault lines is the name of another book that he did an article on. And that's another huge problem, Lexi, that we have in agriculture of these sad stories is that if you don't give me what I want in the transition plan, then I'm going to cut you out of my family, right? And we all know those stories. And what's so sad about that is that literally destroys an entire branch of a family tree. And that also, like with your four wonderful little kids, that doesn't give them the opportunity to have relationships with cousins, aunts and uncles or whoever that should have been part of their life story, right? Yeah. So silence, according to the people who wrote Crucial Conversations, is a form of violence. So if people will not speak to you and they stonewall you and they shut you down, you are being abused. That's not acceptable. And then the people who do that have to know that, well, if you're not going to come to the family meeting or if you're not going to go to this coaching process with Elaine and her team of coaches, then you need to know that your decision has been made. You get no say because you didn't come to the table. And that's the consequence of being silent. I've never I'm heard not, it that way before, but that's very- Well, that would, that would be the Irish coming out in me now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, it's very true though. It's a lack of respect there. If you can't respect somebody enough to at least talk to them, then it, that's pretty serious. Well, and, and also we can, we can disagree and still love each other and, mm -hmm. and different. I have another saying different is not wrong. It's just different. And so when people come in with different ideas, let's, let's explore them or let's, let's test them or train or experiment with them. Like my son is innovator with a capital I and um, right now we're outside digging irrigation trenches and putting in a water reservoir and an irrigation system and tiling, which in our area is very uncommon. But we want to make our existing land more productive because we're not intending to buy more expensive land. And so it's how you frame change too, right? And the old way of doing things or a different way of doing things is wrong. No, and it might actually work better. Absolutely. Again, it's that believe. What do you believe to be true, right? Yeah. Falling back on that core belief, those core priorities. Absolutely. So I have another tool called the Values Cloud. And so people can ask for that as well, or we could put it in the show notes maybe. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is when your values are aligned, your life will be much less conflictual because you'll be like two beautiful draft horses, you know, equally yoked and pulling in the same direction, which would be awesome. It's a beautiful and picture I, to paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I grew up with a horse. His name was Charlie, but he bucked me off. But the Shetland ponies were the ones that got me the worst. So <laughs> anyway, I don't have horses now, but I I like the metaphor of pulling in the same direction. And and also about marriage, we haven't talked about divorce. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about farming's in law factor. And I uh, was at a clinic this morning, and and the nurse came out to me. And she said, Elaine, you are on Midwest Farm. Um, wives podcast. I said, yeah, a long time ago. And she said, thank you so much. And I thought, Lexi, I had to tell you this today is that you have no idea when you do this podcast, 
how many seeds you are planting and how long those seeds will take before they germinate. Because you just never know, right? Because you put this out into cyberspace and hope that people will download it. And so for me as a, a speaker and a writer to have people come back and personally say thank you for what a difference that message made to how they can show up on their farm, that's golden. So I wanted to share that with you today. That's powerful so, to a beginning right. podcaster. So powerful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And knowing, knowing that, you know, it just, it could be one or two things that they hang on to that helps them just shift things just that little bit to make all the difference in, in how things transpire and transform on their farm. Absolutely. Finding those little nuggets and and it's, it's amazing how long they travel with us and how much they change our life. If, if it's the right place, the right time, the right words, pretty mm -hmm. cool to think about. Yeah. I've been to a lot of conferences that that's happened to me too. So no, that's good. Um, something that, that you've mentioned in a couple different examples, and that I think a lot of my generation is trying to do is give respect to the generation who is getting ready to step back. Um, and giving respect to what they've built and how they've done things. But sometimes that intent of respect gets a little bit muddied when, like you said, there's no communication or no steps or no plans for the future. How do we balance those um, and still, you know, love that person and love that person in our life so much because they're a parent, a grandparent, whatever the case may be, while also encouraging and trying to push that conversation forward? So two words that are key that you've mentioned are love and respect. And I, when I was a student coach with Hudson back in 2003, Tom Hubler from Minneapolis was one of my coaches. And in his research working with small business, he said three things are going to sideswipe a farm transition or a business transition. One of them is lack of forgiveness, lack of appreciation, and pride and stubbornness. So we are working with stubborn farmers. And why are they stubborn is because they're actually afraid. They're afraid of loss of wealth. They're afraid of loss of identity. And they're afraid of nowhere to go, like no purpose. And, and your podcast is called Farming on Purpose. We all need purpose and meaning, right? So what my encouragement to you as next gen, and it seems like this is a bit of a, a, a pattern amount. I, I just believe so much, Lexi, in the power of words, as we just said, but putting the words down on paper. And I want to tell you this story. I was meeting with a family in Saskatchewan. It was a beautiful family meeting at their farm home with their adult kids. And they said, kids, we want to read you this letter. On the day we got married, 30 some years ago, we wrote a letter to our future children. And now we want you to hear it. And it was all about the kind of farm they wanted to create and the kind of farm parents they wanted to be. And it was this unbelievable vision casting. And they read it. And I'd, I've never experienced that ever again. But it was so powerful. But in a lot of the, the seminars I've been doing lately, and I was just speaking to the young cooperators with National Milk in uh, Denver two weekends ago, I said, one of the things you can do with respect and with love, Lexi, is to actually write your parents a letter, do it in a Word document so you can, you know, mush around the, the words and get the words the way you want them. And just say, dear mom and dad, or dear grandma and grandpa, the reason we're writing this letter is because we want you to know how much we appreciate everything that you've done for us and given us in terms of opportunity in bringing the farm to where it is today. But as you know, we're all getting older. 
And one of the things that we as the next generation are seeking and longing for is to know our place in management and to know our place in ownership. And with all due respect, we want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will be given exactly everything that you need to have the life you've always wanted as you age in place on this farm. So here's what we're asking. First of all, what do you want and what do you need? And how can we help you get that? Because we are very grateful. Secondly, this is how much debt we are willing to take on to make this work because we've gone to our lender and we've done our net worth statements and this is what we feel we can offer as part of our sign of commitment to the legacy of this farm. And number three, this is our vision. This is what we'd like to see going forward. Now, this is a podcast. People can go back and replay what I just said because when I'm coaching this with individual people, they go, Elaine, I said, it's okay. It's all recorded. And you can use my words as a jumping off spot. But I did this with another podcaster and he started, he started weeping because it, it hit such a deep emotional nerve. And for my husband, who doesn't like gifts, who doesn't care about cards, his love language is acts of service. But when he gets a note from our son that says, dear dad, Thank you for helping me understand how to balance work and family. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given me. Thank you that we can make decisions on buying very expensive combines together. You know, whatever he wants to say, but I keep those cards, Lexi, because those are gold mm -hmm. to someone who needs appreciation. And we all need to know that our work counts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I have people your age who cannot write. They don't know cursive writing. I don't care. Print it. I've had people show me letters on pencil and full scap, but we all, we have computers. You can, and, or you can, you know, tuck in a little gift card for them to go out and have a nice meal at a restaurant or something. There's a book, a management book in the U S called encouraging the heart of your business. And it's written by Pusner and Coutts. You can find it on Amazon. But I used to do an entire presentation on that because people forget that it's not just about how many cows you have or how many acres you run or what your corn yield was this year. Frankly, I don't care. What I care about is how rich are you in relationship? Because that's what's going to carry you through the high interest rates, the high corn prices, the drought, and all the other global weather risks and market challenges that farmers face. It's your resiliency to be able to communicate, connect, and celebrate. So Thanksgiving's coming. Celebrate well and tell people in a, in a new way how much you appreciate what opportunities they've given you. Be grateful. That's a beautiful, beautiful part of a legacy to pass on and to give back to people as well. And that word legacy has come up several times throughout our conversation. And, and just now again, people in agriculture, we talk about legacy and our identity in farming all the time. I've noticed that more and more, the more involved I get in agriculture as an adult. Why is that, do you think? Because I don't, I don't hear that talked about in other people's careers or family businesses. Why are we so obsessed with legacy in agriculture? I think part of it, Lexi, is a deep emotional attachment to the land. And my story is my great-grandfather, Peter Lindsay Edie, who was of Scottish descent, my mother's descent was of Irish. He came to Manitoba and bought land from a Métis woman in around the 1880s. And my grandfather, Isaac Bruce, was born in 1885. 
And then my father split away from his brothers, which was earth shattering in the sixties when I was about four years old. And so, you know, just, I just, my own story of family of origin, and we do land acknowledgements now here to also recognize the role of indigenous people. And when I was working on the land acknowledgement, that's on the bottom of my website, the indigenous professor from the university said, Elaine, you do realize that it was the women who did a lot of the working of the land while their while their men were out hunting and gathering, right? And so there's a lot there's a lot I think in 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 maybe the legacy piece, Lexi I think is around you want things to continue because you know what it means. Like we are we are riding the farm that we're on is Wes's mother's farm. She came to Canada from the Ukraine in 1926 with a suitcase as a two-year-old and her father had $600 which was 10 times the normal refugee amount because we've checked this all out with the Pier 21 records anyway she married Wes's dad at the end of the war in 1945 and then promptly her dad said well here you go Margaret you and, and Abe can have this farm and I'm going to BC and he he sought his fortune being an entrepreneur because he started a Cedar Shakes company all of this to say is that Wes's mom was the real farmer. Wes got a plant science degree. And while Wes's dad was also a preacher, the farm kind of went to rack and ruin. So when Wes came home from university, he got to be the manager of a seed farm at the age of 22. So my husband has been a manager for over 40 years. And he's happy to let management shift now to the 34 year old because he's already had a really good run. But we talk about this, Lexi, if something happened to our son, what if, and this is another practical tool thing, you should play the what if game. What if something happens to the elders? What if, what if something happens to the key person next gen? What would you want for this farm? And you know, all of all of the goodness that's here now that's been built up about 40 years, Ian does not take that for granted. But if nobody wanted to farm this farm anymore in this name, then we would likely move on to something else. But in some families, that is not ever an option. And unfortunately, if there is no successor, then there needs to be conversations about joint ventures. And we have a bachelor neighbor who we helped out this spring and saved his butt, so to speak, by helping him plant his canola because he's just not able to keep up with his cows and his grain anymore. Mm -hmm. And he in tears came to my husband and said, thank you. And he said, well, you're welcome. That's what neighbors do for each other. But he said, no, you don't understand. Had you not helped me, I would have had zero return on this land. And instead, he got a, a fairly decent canola crop. So again, John Ortberg has a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. And John used to be a pastor, I think, at Willow Creep. He's got a very Swedish sense of humor. But in his book, he said, at the end of my life, there's only two things I want, to be rich towards God and rich in relationship. And you see, I lost my mom at 65, the age that I, you know, I just left. I'm now 66. And so I know, you know, what she blessed me before she ever died with other things, which was her love and her respect and her relationship. But I also know that she had struggles with the finances of my home farm or my brother farms. And so, Lexi, when I talk about legacy, I just want people to talk about it's more than land. Legacy to me is 
is the culture that you leave for your family so that the next generation has great stories to tell and is thankful for the opportunity they've been given. That's what legacy means to me. That gave me chills. So I think <laughs> that was very well worded. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time today. I do have one more question that I like to ask everyone who comes on the show. And you talk to a lot of farm families, so you may want to share something not even from your own family. But the question is, what is your favorite tradition that is part of the agriculture farming way of life that you've experienced or heard from another family? Oh, I think that in our in our area, it would be our, uh, our it's called the BMW, the Boise Maine Morton Whitewater Growing Project. And so for over 20 years, a group of farmers have farmed a quarter section of land to uh, feed the poor of the world. And it's called the Canadian Food Grains Bank. So this year it was canola and they took it off and uh, it was a good crop. And then the Canadian government here quadruples the value of the donation. So millions of dollars over 20 years have been given to help feed the poor. And wow. I think farmers always talk about how good it feels to, to grow grain and produce crops and livestock to feed uh, other families. But what I love so much about the growing project is it's one day when everyone says, okay, today's the day we're going to do it. And all of a sudden eight or 10, and in the old days, 23 combines used to come to the same field. It only take 23 combines only takes about 25, 30 minutes to do a quarter section. But anyway, this year it was a, a good afternoon and there was eight combines and four or five semi-trucks and people have a lunch together first and then they watch the people working in the field. It's the joy of doing things together for the good of others. That's a beautiful mission and really, really unique. I've never heard about that well, before. It's all, across, it's all across the prairies and parts of Ontario, but if people just Google Canadian Food Grains Bank, you'll see all kinds of amazing stories there. Well, I will have to include that in the show notes then, along with um, all of the wonderful book recommendations that you've mentioned here today. Well, L Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show today. I want to make sure you have the chance to let people know how they can connect with you for further. So the magic words are farmfamilycoach.com. And on our social media channels, if you just go to Instagram, Farm Family Coach, TikTok, Farm Family Coach, my Twitter channel is at Elaine Phrase. LinkedIn, you can find me, Elaine Phrase. I really would love folks to consider uh, coming to my website and signing up for my blog, which is my insights that come out every couple of weeks that I also do a video for. And then that way, kind of like you're getting my coaching for free. I drop in, uh, have a short video and share an article with you about things that people have been talking to me about that are concerning them in farm coaching and transition. So thank you so much, Lexi, for this time. And I'll be looking for your uh, application for the conflict dynamic profile. And then once you've done yours, your husband's going to want to do his too, so you can compare what your triggers are. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Elaine. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at 
Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.